Well, what a great day. How about it? The Lord has brought us rain, and uh, I'm praying we're going to get some, get some spiritual rain here today inside as well. Is that good? And uh, I may have to preach from memory, being contentious. Anybody ever had anybody contentious in their life? <laughs> Well, hey, so that make a difference, Christmas edition. What we're, what we're, where we're at on that right now is today and extended through tomorrow. We're asking if you, your family has a need or let's say you know a family in need, and it's been a tough year, right? And, and yet still kids have this desire to receive and we want to be blessing, a blessing to the church. A church should be a blessing. We're not here to just get, Right? Blessing, a church is a blessing, means we want to bless others. And so our heart is, not only if you're going through a tough time or your family's gone through a tough year, we want to be a blessing to you. And so we're asking you to go online or our church center app, or go to livewithpurpose.church and fill out this link, click on the link, fill it out. There's details in there we're asking of you to put inside so we can have information to give out next week. Now, all we're worried about today and tomorrow is getting the information on the kids, the, fam- the kids and the family, from you, whether it's your family or it's a family that you know. We want to take care of our church, but we also want to be extensions, our hands to be extended relationally to people that we know that are just outside the church, hoping that God will reach them as we are blessing them. Right? You, you got it? So we go to online, livewithpurpose.church, church center app, okay? So there's that. I just want to remind you, kind of give you some details. There will be someone outside or people outside. There's likely, they have a card that says, make a difference, a little lanyard, and you can ask them, now, how do I do this? What's the internet? You know, questions like that, and they will help guide you through all of that. You got a piece of paper that I can write it on, and you know, but no, we don't. The answer is no. We're going to guide you to technology, but it's okay. We're here to walk you through with everything that we're doing. So, uh, there is that. We are in our series called Empowered to Overcome because you are empowered. If you are in Christ, you actually have been empowered to be an overcomer. And that is to overcome everything, everything, every issue, every trial, every uh, spiritual attack, everything that you will go through in life, you are already empowered. And in fact, in Christ, victory is our birthright. You have a right to victory over whatever situation you're going through right now. You just have to lay hold of it and know how to apply God's word to your situation so that you can move forward in him through victory. We good? All right. So we've discussed, we've discussed in the past two weeks overcoming fear. We started there, and then we built off of that to overcoming rejection. And now we're going to another topic. Now, everybody has had some kind of fearful situation or struggles with fear or has struggled with fear, whatever the case may be, and everybody has been rejected. You have been rejected, you probably carry a sense of rejection, or you will be rejected, and it's just a continual issue of a part of life. It is, what, it is what it is. However, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to stay that way. Things can change. The effects of the rejection can change. And because, because our greatest fear is rejection... Satan's greatest control point in our lives is rejection. So if, we can, if he can keep us rejected, then he can control us and manipulate us all through our lives, and we won't even know it. But there's, some, there's something that is tied to rejection that also controls us, and it's the mother of all issues, and it's called unforgiveness. 
That's why we are talking about how to overcome unforgiveness. You are empowered to overcome unforgiveness, but you may not know that you might be just carrying some unforgiveness even today right now. And you may not know that some of the effects of your life are caused by this unforgiveness that are continual in your life. We're going to talk about it today. We're going to work it out. I'm going to give you some understanding of what the Bible says about it, how to process it, how to work through it, and we're going to find out how to get healed from it because you are empowered to overcome and victory is your birthright. And I know many of you have experienced some extremely destructive events, extremely destructive uh, situations and issues in your life. And you've experienced these things and you're thinking, "Well, well, Pastor Nathan, you don't know what I've been through. Well, I know what God's word says. And there is nothing greater than what God's word says in application to what we're going through in our situation, in our lives, no matter what the situation, no no matter how deep, how dark, how strenuous, and how painful. God has an answer, and if we'll apply his answer, he will work all things out. But the Lord never gives us the ability to not forgive. I'm going to hit it head on. And in many of you, I don't, want to, I don't want you to shut down and thinking, oh, yeah, but you don't know. No. The Lord never gives us an opportunity nor their approval to not forgive. We simply have to forgive in every circumstance, and we know this is very challenging. So we're going to address it. We're going to hit it straight on, on overcoming unforgiveness. In February, we're going to have a conference, a three-day conference. Two nights, it's three nights, two hours a night on freedom. We're going to hammer these issues because this is some of the greatest content for us to find freedom and to be able to truly walk out this thing called a Christ life. Christ-like life. And I'm not talking, I'm not up here speaking from a self-righteous place. I'm, I'm up here speaking from a having been set free by this place. Okay, so when I speak with authority or passion, it's because I've been there, I've done it, I'm going through it, I've gone through it, and I have realized that this is the only way to find peace, to see the kingdom here on earth, and to watch God move on my behalf, and I don't have to struggle to accomplish the things that God has put in my heart. Okay. You're going to get it at the end of this. Matthew, let's talk about this in Matthew 18. Peter proposes this situation, and he's saying, hey, Jesus, well, what about this? And we're talking about the issue of forgiveness and unforgiveness. But let's look at it. Matthew 18, 21 says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? I'm thinking, you do something to me seven times, you and I are going to have a problem. (laughs) Right? But he says this. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, that's 490. Now, that, the 490 means nothing. He's not saying, well, if they do it 490 times, you forgive them 491, you quit forgiving them. He's saying forever, in all situations, you always forgive. No matter what, you forgive is what he is saying. Verse 24, 3. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. That's a lot of money. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. It's interesting how the effects of one's debt begins to affect the family members. Hmm. The servant, therefore, fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me, and I will, re- I will pay you all. 
Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii is about one day's wage. And one day's wage, it, let, let's put this in, into context, he owed him a hundred days wage, so that's roughly a third of a year. Roughly a third of a year. Let's say, let's say it's about $20,000 in our understanding. Let's say you make $60,000 a year and it's about $20,000 a third of a year. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So he chokeslammed him. Just gotten forgiven. And then he goes and chokeslams somebody else that owes him. Let's move on. So his fellow servant fell down to, at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he ch should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw that he had been done, what he, what he had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. Wow, this is pretty intense. So my heavenly father also will do to you if you from his heart does not forgive his brother. I'm sorry, his brother, his trespasses. Wow, that's intense. So let's see, let's see some of the truths that Jesus begins to extract out of here to help Peter understand and us understand what God sees and how God sees the issue of unforgiveness and forgiveness and how he is telling us from God's perspective, here's how we handle this, and there is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. So let me give you three truths concerning unforgiveness. Number one is God has a zero-tolerance stance on unforgiveness. Not allowed. Can't do it. You're on your own. You're handed over to the torturers. Good luck. Have fun. Hope to see you again. I mean, literally, it starts to feel like that. There's never a situation where God allows us not to forgive. Jesus said, if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, my father will turn you over to the torturer. Well, literally, unforgiveness is torture. As you carry unforgiveness in your heart, you're going to start to feel like you're being tortured on the inside. There's going to be struggles and issues, your perspectives, your attitude, your heart checks, torture. Things that you're going through, your mindset, torture. Let's look at what it does physically. Stress, ulcers, nervous disorders, headaches, high blood pressure, skin problems, on and on and on. The more you hold on to unforgiveness, the more it starts to find its way out in physical effects. You ever been to the doctor's office and they just can't find out what the issue is? I'm not sure what it is. Can't figure it out. Can't find anything. Well, let me tell you, it's a spiritual thing. It's unforgiveness. And there is no answer inside of medicine. There's some help. There's some assistance. There's some coping. But when it comes to issues like this, it is going to eat you up until you begin to apply God's word in this area. Forgiveness. There are, there are anxieties and stress that unforgiveness puts on us, and we're never, we were never designed to be repositories for hatred. When we, when we decide to keep unforgiveness in our hearts, it begins to destroy us physically. But let's look at emotionally. Outburst of anger. Mood swings. Uh, did you know the clinical definition for depression is anger turned inward? 
So these are symptoms. These are signs. If I'm depressed, then I might be holding on to some bitterness and some resentment and some anger towards someone that I probably need to forgive. I have the keys in my hand. I, am, I have a birthright to victory in this area. I am, am empowered to overcome. I don't have to be depressed. I don't have to stay here. I don't have to be emotionally beaten because your emotions only have so much stamina. And the highest consumer of your emotions is anger. Holding on to anger is like putting your emotions on a treadmill and eventually, it won't, I mean, it won't take long until you are exhausted, you are tapped, and one day you're going to say, I need to get out of bed and your emotions are going to tell you, okay, you can do it, but we're going to stay right here. And that's called depression. And it's ugly. And it's dark. And it's lonely. And the whisperer just begins to work over our minds. Emotionally, outbursts of anger. Some, some people actually do need medication. But I'm telling you right now, we are an over-medicated society not doing what God's Word says. We've taken it so much into our hearts that we'd rather deal with it another way, whether take another pill to cope, hoping that one day it'll change, rather than going into God's Word and applying it by faith, trusting that God will be our provider, protector, our healer. Over-medicated. Spiritually, let me say, if you are saved, it is by grace, and you will not lose your salvation. But God will only give you as much grace as you're willing to give away. And I need a lot of grace. And if I'm not willing, I'm not willing to be a great. We want, if we want the grace, of the river of grace to flow through us, then we can't be a dam of judgment and unforgiveness. It begins to well up on the inside and it starts to pop out. This is Jesus' story. The man's forgiveness was revoked because he wouldn't give it away. Demonic oppression comes through unforgiveness. Talking about the physical aspects, it'll turn a, it'll, it'll turn a, a shoulder issue, some kind of hernia into a hemorrhoid. <laughs> you think, well, I'm going to go get this fixed. Well, it's going to pop out somewhere. <laughs> Until you deal with it spiritually and according to God's word, you're going to keep on popping up all kind of issues all over the place. I don't know why this keeps happening to me. I'll tell you, you're harboring unforgiveness. I'm telling you. I lived it, right? And his master was angry, Jesus says, and delivered him to the torturers. Let me break that down a little bit for you. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. What is wrath? That's unforgiveness. That word right there is unforgiveness. Do not let the sun go down while you have not forgiven somebody in your life. Because when you do, you will give place to Diablos, the slanderer. And you will go to bed, and that open door or open window will be right there positioned for the slanderer, Diablos, to slither in. You're going to go in, and you're upset. You haven't resolved it with the Lord, and you're so caught up in the inner turmoil that's going on in your, in your soul and in your mind. The slanderer comes in at night, and he starts whispering little lies, and you care, you're not even guard, on your guard. You don't have the full armor of God because you've got a window open, and you're upset, and you're not applying his word, and he starts to speak even more negative things about that individual, maybe about your 
your relationship, maybe about you as well. And so he starts to work inside of you to create division and pain and hurt and trials and issues. And you start to see that individual through a negative light. And you wake up in the morning thinking you had a spiritual dream, a heavenly spiritual dream. And all of a sudden you're enlightened, but you have demonic thoughts about the other person or people. It's real. And I know all of you know what I'm talking about. And that's what happens whenever we go to bed angry and have not forgiven the people of that day. Unforgiveness is an open door. And I'm telling you, when you leave it open, you are allowing the tormentor to come in and torture you. It may be loud and obvious, or it may be slow and subtle, and over time begins to shape your character in a negative way. But he's getting you. And until, it doesn't mean that, well, the next day it's going to be better. No. And until you start to close that door God's way, that door will be open for him to come in and continue to impart lie after lie after situation after situation in your life. And you will be deceived and led and controlled by this control point that Satan has in your life. It's called oppression. Look at, let's, let's look at this torture that we see across our, our nation, the world, division. Racism, prejudice, discrimination. Think of all the devastation that hatred has caused. Wars, violence, divorce, lawsuits, riots. Everything that we're seeing is just a bunch of unforgiving people acting out of their hurts. You do understand that, right? That's why the church can't look like that. We have the word, we have the truth, we have the way, we have the answer, and they need it. They need a people of the light walking in the light and walking in a lot of forgiveness because they have a lot of hurt and a lot of hatred and a lot of anger. And unfortunately, a lot of times, the church looks just like those who are hurting and wounded and rioting. It's just internal and behind other people's backs. Let me give you three sayings on forgiveness. The poison, number one, the, the poison of unforgiveness damages the vessel it is stored within worse than anything you can spit it on. It's the same thing if you probably heard it. It's like me drinking poison and hoping that you die. Good luck. Unforgiveness damages us and God won't do anything about it. The answer is forgiveness. You can go to your prayer closet and you can go to war and you can be on your face and you can be journaling and you can do all kind of spiritual things. But until you've forgiven, you're just having a bunch of spiritual exercise with no content, no meat, nothing happening. You come out of there feeling like, whew, Lord, I'm just so tired. I'm, I just warred in the Lord and, you know, I did all these things. And uh, God is like, well, you did a lot, but you didn't do what you needed to do. And I'm not in that. What you did was meditated on a lot of, a lot of anger, and you, went, you took people before the Lord, and you probably cursed them a little bit, and, and the things that they need to do and do, need to do differently, and, and you're upset with them, and you're saying, you're saying all these kind of spiritual things, but in reality, you haven't done anything but talk to the Lord and complain to the Lord, and you didn't even get to hear from Him. You heard for a version that you wanted to hear that would appease you and make you feel better in the moment so you can move along in your unforgiveness for that day. Number two is, forgiveness doesn't make them right. It makes me free. And boy, it's worth me being free to forgive anybody. 
Number three is forgiveness is one of the most self-loving things you will ever do. Three things you need to know about forgiveness. Uh, I've ministered, let me tell you, a lot of freedom, a lot of inner healing, a lot of physical healing, and unforgiveness is the mother of all issues. I can start a conversation with somebody automatically. I'm just trained because of experience and understanding that at some point we're going to have to talk about some forgiveness over somebody. There was a, about seven years ago, I think it was, I was on an altar team, a prayer team at another church, and, and I was, uh, the lady was just angry. Like I knew her, I mean, she was just angry, and just, you could just see just red in the face all the time, just holding on to so much. She said uh, she had gone to the doctor, and she had an issue, like a bulging disc, and I don't know all the details. It's been a while. But she said that uh, there was nothing they could do without surgery. We recommended maybe going to a chiropractor. She went to a local chiropractor, and he said, hey, uh, I can't fix this. You're going to have to have surgery. And I was sitting there talking with her, and it came about that she had an issue with her brother over an inheritance. And they had a fight, and she was angry, unforgiving bitter, resentful. And so I began to tell her about what unforgiveness does and, and how it affects our lives. And I began to ask her to boldly, by faith, even though she doesn't feel it, by faith, just begin to go through the process of beginning to forgive her brother. And as we got there, I, I began to tell her about the fact that we need to bless as well, which is a whole other conversation we'll have later. And so as she began to bless, by faith, she didn't feel it, and in that moment, sitting right beside her, I felt the fluids in the bottom of my back begin to shift and move. And I said, hey, so-and-so, I feel like God is ready to heal you right now. Can we just stop right here and pray for your back? And in that moment, God healed her back, and she never had to have surgery. She never had to go to a chiropractor, and she never had to go to the doctor again. She just had to forgive. Praise God for that right there. And let me tell you, I've seen that happen in America. I've, done, I've seen it happen in, in Honduras. I've seen it happen in Brazil. I've seen it happen in every country that I've gone to, and I've ministered healing with unforgiveness involved. And God can heal your brokenness, your pain, your physical issues, your emotional issues, your soul issues, if you'll just work his process of truth with faith, by faith and love and a little bit of grace, because people need grace just like you and I need grace. And if someone has done something to you, no matter how horrific, mother, father, stepfather, stepmother, if you won't forgive, you won't be healed, period. It's going to pop up somewhere. You will nurse an open wound for the rest of your life until you decide to forgive and be healed. I'm telling you, this is the mother of all issues. The mother. And in the Lord's Prayer, the matter of forgiveness is the only part Jesus repeats twice. He, he repeats this issue of forgiveness. He's sitting here telling us how to pray. He's telling us about the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, but yet he has to add some teaching on forgiveness twice in this one prayer so that we will get it when you pray every day. Forgive. Hey, hey, forgive. Look at this. Matthew 6, 15 says, But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And unforgiveness hinders our prayers from being answered because we are actually living in disobedience to God. Romans tells us this righteous path of God, and God gives us this lineup of here's how you live according to my word, and here's where your blessings are, and here's where favor is, and here's where more grace is. And when we live in unforgiveness, we're outside of those lines. And Romans also tells us what that is. 
You can go read it. And I'm telling you, we're living in disobedience and we're dividing ourselves from the will of God, from the purposes of God in our lives. So God has a zero tolerance stance on unforgiveness. And number two, from God's perspective, unforgiveness is petty. And in Jesus' story, remember that the man owed his master 10,000 talents. Now, the lowest value I could find of talents in research was $1,000. One talent being $1,000. 10,000 talents is $10 million. And if we do the math with the denarii being one day, of, one, one day of work, and we put that with the math of the talents, it's 61,000 days of labor, $10 million. And at 80 years old, you only have 29,200 days. The point is, you, he couldn't pay it. There was no way. And that starts to put things in perspective, Right? Because you're like, I'll blow through $29,200 in a, in a day, but you put a day, in a, in a year, but you put a day to every one of those dollars, like, oh, life's shorter than I thought it was. And in this moment, this man, the master, has forgiven 61,000 days of labor to this individual in hopes that he would, too, go and do the same. The point of the story that Jesus says, says, Master forgave this man, he could never repay. The man couldn't even find it in his heart to forgive another individual. Jesus is saying, God sees unforgiveness as pure pettiness. We think something we think is so big is just a little granule, granule of sand. It's petty. Number three, for believers, unforgiveness is double vision. Double vision is also termed division. Die is two, meaning whenever you have two visions, it's division. God's got a vision for your life. He's got a vision, a vision, a blueprint for your life and how to live life. And then all of a sudden, when you choose to walk in unforgiveness, you have your own vision. And division will always create a division will always create a, a separation and a path. God is always pursuing you. He's always chasing you. He's always loving for you. He's always longing for you. He's always desiring you. But you are creating a division between you and God on your side whenever you're choosing to walk and keep unforgiveness in your heart. We are, in fact, the most unlike God when we're, un, we're living in unforgiveness. Yet we're called to be godly. Psalms 103, 8 and 14 says, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As, for, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. How many are happy that we have a graceful and a loving father? And thank you that he forgives us. And thank you that he says in our times of need, we can boldly run to the throne of mercy and grace to, to find healing and restoration and forgiveness. And oftentimes we want to receive forgiveness, but we want to give out justice. 94% of Americans believe it is important for us to forgive, but only 50%, only half of those people actually practice the practice of daily living with forgiveness. And I think that's an astounding number that even half practice this. Next, let's talk about understanding the meaning of forgiveness. 
Forgiving all, number one is forgiving all debt and bringing the balance to zero. How long? Permanently. Per- permanently. Bringing it to zero. You don't owe me anything. You, you, you don't owe me an explanation. You don't owe me an apology. This means you don't owe me. On my side, I don't need anything from you for me to forgive you. That's my spiritual obedient responsibility is to release forgiveness. You don't owe me anything. There's no debt here. God chooses to forgive and forget when we have, when we have come to him asking for forgiveness. He just chooses it immediately. So by faith, if you're struggling with forgiveness and your own forgiveness and forgiving yourself and asking the Lord for forgiveness, his word says the moment you come to him and ask for forgiveness, he remembers it no more as far as the east is from the west. In that moment, and so by faith, you can trust as I come to him and I submit and I repent and I'm asking for forgiveness, in that moment, as you say, the last E of me, he's already forgiving. And only Satan can convince you otherwise. So that may mean there may be an open door if you're still listening to Satan thinking that the Father doesn't forgive you. It's really good. It's really good. When I say I forgive you, what I mean, what I'm saying is I'll pay that price because there's a price that has to be paid. There was a cost at hand. It was my hurt. It was my emotions. It was my time. It was my distractions. It was many other things. But you're saying I forgive and I'm I'm paying the cost. I'm going to charge it to my card. I'm charging it. Jesus did it for me, and I'm going to do it for the sake of this situation right here because I need to be free. I need to be cut off. There is no debt. I'll pay the price. And that's what the master did, and that's what the servant was not willing to do. Number two, forfeiting, understanding the meaning of forgiveness, forfeiting the right of reproach. How long? Permanently. That means once I have forgiven you, I'm not going to ever bring it back up. It's done. It's forgiven. It's no longer reproachable. Uh, Ladies, you can't be driving down the road with your husband 10 years later and say, you remember that time when you did this? Uh, We worked through that. You forgave me. We released that. Never to be brought up again. It's unreproachable. I know it. Guys, in your insecurity... Hey, well, yeah, well, we remember whenever you went out with the ladies and you did this? You forgave her. Let it go. Move on. Quit letting it control your relationship, your marriage, your friendships, whatever it is. It's unreproachable. Unless you have division, your own vision, I would lean towards the blueprint and the vision of God's life, God, God for your life. Number three, Foregoing all expressions of private and public judgment. How long? Permanently. That means I'm not going to call you names and talk about you privately nor publicly. Uh, that means I'm, I'm not going to keep, keep this thing stirred up by talking about it. It's done. I'm giving it up. I'm handing it over to the Lord, and I'm moving it on never to look at it again. Hopefully, I will one day forget it. Hopefully, I won't have the remembrance of it even when I see you again. God will have cleansed me, healed me, and washed it completely away. I'm not going to meditate it. Let me give you three things forgiveness is not, though. Number one, forgiveness doesn't mean I have to continue to be a doormat. There are abusive people, and I must forgive them, but I don't have to be near them. Hey, you know what? I don't, I don't need this. I, I love you. I forgive you. I, you know, whatever it is, I bless you. 
But if you're going to continue to be that way, if you're going to continue to live that out, then I'm going to have to create some separation between you and I. I'm going to have to create some boundaries, not because I'm rejecting you. It's because I'm trying to protect and bring healing. Hopefully, God will work in your life. You will be healed, and hopefully, God will heal me in the process of my decisions and trying to follow him. It's that simple. It's that easy. It's that straightforward, but you have to be able to address it in a loving and a kind way. Number two is forgiveness doesn't mean I shouldn't confront you about the issue that has hurt me. It just means I forgave you, and no matter how you respond, I'm still forgiving you. You can get angry at me for forgiving you, but I am forgiving you because I've got to clean up my side of the street. I've got to live in obedience according to the Lord, and I'm going to hand that over to you to decide what you want to do. The best way is I'm so sorry for, for what I've done if, I, if I've been wrong. Will you forgive me? Put it all, always put it back in their court. Will you forgive me? Because they have to deal with that. And likewise, going into it, you know what? I just want you to know, when this happened, it really hurt me. It made me feel this way. And maybe you didn't intend it. Maybe they didn't. Let's, let's just cover them. Maybe you didn't intend it, but whenever this happened, it really made me feel this. But I just want you to know, I, I forgive you. I forgive you. And sometimes we may need to say, hey, I haven't spoken to you, and I've been resistant and withdrawn. Would you please forgive me? We're talking about the kingdom. We're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ for the most part. We're not talking about the world. We know better, or we should know better. We need to get in his word so we can know better. There's ways of handling it. We've got to work through this. Number three is forgiveness does not mean there shouldn't be punishment or consequences. Listen, I can forgive you, but you still may need to go to jail. That might be the best thing for you. You'll find your greatest healing over there in the jail cell. Bless you. I still have to call the police. If it's that bad, uh, I may have to create some distance for the sake of protection. Again, again, I never will be an advocate for divorce, but here's what I will say. If we can take it off of the table and we can say, hey, if it's too toxic in your home or in this situation or in this relationship, you two need to move out, find some healing and restoration. I will walk this thing out through you and I will give you the word of God and I will help you and I will assist you, but you have to do the work to applying and changing your mind and your decisions according to God's will and his ways. And hopefully, I know, I trust that God will bring healing to bring restoration so that your marriage will be something it never was before. And in this church, I've seen it happen. And in other churches, I've seen it happen. And with people that don't even come to this church, I have seen it happen by me giving those directives right there, and they actually did it. You, people come in with divorce thinking that's the only answer. I say, well, what if it's not? How about we take it off the table and we just apply these things? Never has anybody gotten a divorce whenever they actually applied those things and I walked it out with them and they said, okay, I think we can do this. That's restoration, that's forgiveness, that's healing. And it's only gonna be his way. And the person hurting you needs to be confronted and you need to know how to confront others in a kind, loving, but yet healthy way. We, all, we say around here, be kind but firm. Kind but firm. Not gonna happen anymore. I'm not, I'm, we're not gonna do that anymore. We're going to have to set some boundaries for our lives to protect us, to protect you, protect me, protect our family, protect our finances, protect our kids, whatever it is to protect. Not because I don't like you, not because I don't love you, not because I'm rejecting you. I love you, and because of that, I want to do this with, with you. Forms of unforgiveness are this. You see somebody wrestling with any of these things, you can see, oh, unforgiveness right there. Revenge, murder, violence, abuse, hate, 
bitterness, resentment, slander, gossip, sarcasm. You know, sarcasm is just a defense mechanism protecting yourself because you have some unforgiveness. You do know that, right? I used to be the world's worst. Verbal abuse, name-calling, labels, divorce, rejection, and avoidance for punishment's sake. Withholding good, a transference of affection. Come on. Well, I, my affection should belong to you. My love should be coming to you. But instead, because I can't address the things that are going on in our family or in our lives or in this relationship or maybe in this business uh, context, then I am withdrawing from you and I'm going to put my affection somewhere else that I feel is safe for me. That's when you see spouses pull away and they start investing more in their kids. That's when you see spouses pull away and they start investing more in their workplace. That's where workaholics begin and that's where spouses start pulling away and maybe they start serving more and doing more in the church and it becomes works rather than serving. If I can just get loved, it's all about me, really. And no matter what the setting, whenever things don't go their way, they feel rejected, not because of what happened in the church or in their workplace or in another relationship. It's because of what's already going on in their marriage. But everybody needs somebody to blame so that they're not responsible for it. Unforgiveness. Transference of affection. Bigotry, racism, and sexism. Internally wishing for bad things to happen to others. You ever seen a Christian that... Whenever somebody else in the church or in a place or a business or, or in life, friends, one, somebody just starts to get blessed and the other individual starts to get upset because why didn't I get blessed like that? No? Me? I'm not I'm the only one? Okay. How about this? Christians cursing Christians, praying bad things on others. I've had to minister people through this, and I tell you who, parents... Whenever a child is astray, parents will tend to pray, Lord, I just pray that something bad happens to them, but not bad enough where it takes their life, but just to where they'll cause them to repent and return back to you, the Lord. Yeah, I've had to minister to people through that. It's Christian witchcraft. <laughs> Doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Lord, do something bad to them. Change their life, Lord. No. When I forgive, I hand over judgment to the Lord. It's on you now, Lord. You do it. I can't do it anymore. How to forgive from the heart. We must remember that our sins cost Jesus his life. That ought to add a lot of grace to your life. You know, Judas betrayed Jesus, one of his close people, the disciples. The Jews handed Jesus over to the Romans. The Romans put, the, put Jesus on the cross and nailed him. But in reality, it was my sins and your sins that put Jesus on the cross, the reason he went to the cross was to restore a relationship between God the Father and us because of our sinful nature and our ways, and it was a matter and a picture of grace. And it's by grace we are empowered to overcome, and it's by grace that we find salvation. It is by grace that we're able to walk in freedom, and it's the same grace that, that God is asking us to extend to a fellow brother, sister, someone in need. It's tough. It's hard to accept. Because when you're mad at someone, it's hard to believe that God can love them because they're such an idiot. <laughs> Ain't no way God loves that dude. Ain't no, no way God loves her. She's, but he does. He does. 
And all unforgiveness begins with devaluing. And if I put a label on you, it gives me the right to mistreat you and withhold forgiveness. You're less than me when I can label you. And now I'm in a high place. Now I've become the judgment, the, the, the judger. I've been the judge on the, the judgment seat. Now I'm, I'm better than you. And from God's perspective, he's saying, oof, you're worse off than they are. Number three, we must make a permanent release of their debt to us and release the ju their judgment to God. Romans 12, 17 through 19 says, Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as deep depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. That's New Testament. He's quoting Old Testament, but he hadn't changed. Just give it to me and let me take care of it. No, God, I don't know if you can do it well enough. I'm gonna hold on to this. What you're doing is embodying the wrath yourself. And it's causing struggles, torture, and pain in your own life, and you're wondering, why does this keep happening to me? Why are my situations, why are my attitude this way? And you're blaming in your own heart, and God is sitting there saying, hey, uh, give it to me. Give place to wrath, for it is written, uh, vengeance is mine, not yours. I will repay. But what I would like for you to do is forgive. And unforgiveness is unbelief. It's saying, I don't trust you, God, to do this. It says, uh, you don't think God cares. You don't think God can handle it. But you have a loving father that cares for you greatly. And he, he is hurting and lamenting seeing the fact that you're, wor you're working that thing out on your own and you're carrying the torture chamber with you. Do you know that's why, actually, Jonah ended up in the belly of the well? He knew God would forgive. He knew the grace of God. In the Old Testament, he's like, no, I'm not going to the Ninevites. They're doing terrible things. God was sending him, and in his own rebellion, in his own unforgiveness towards the Ninevites, he has to get thrown off a ship. He's trying to run. He gets eaten by a well. So, I mean, it's stinking and nasty life that he's having to live because he is sitting there walking this thing out. He gets spit up, and God is slowly moving him towards his truth and his will for, God's, for, for Jonah's life. And I'm telling you right now, God is moving you lovingly, gracefully towards the will that he has on your life. And if you're carrying un, uh, unforgiveness, you are feeling the torture along the path that he has planned for you, and you can't see it because you're so bound up in your torture of your unforgiveness, but God is moving you. The grace of God is forming things around you to bring you towards the perfect will that he has, and you get to choose how fast that's going to happen according to your forgiveness and your willingness to be obedient to Christ. Man, this is really good. For we must bless them and pray for them. Oh, Lord, no, you didn't. Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you and pray for those who spitefully use you. Many people have come to me in the past, their issues and their problems, and they'll say, Pastor Nathan, I have forgiven so-and-so, I am forgiven so-and-so, a hundred times I've forgiven so-and-so, and nothing feels like it's changed in my life. And my statement is always, well, have you blessed them? Oh, no. 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 
Seriously. Now, I'm not saying go bake them a pie for Thanksgiving or smoke them a turkey and take it away. I just want to bless you. This is what the word of the Lord says. No, I'm not talking about that. I mean, I repent, Lord. Please forgive me for holding any kind of resentment, unforgiveness, and bitterness towards any of your people, whether they're saved or not. Lord, I know you love them just like you love me. I'm talking about I forgive them, and Lord, I can't feel it right now because when they did this, it made me feel this, 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 and this, and this, this, and this. Do you know that you have to express those emotions because your soul has things locked inside of it, and they're called emotions and feelings, and they can be a great guide, but they can't be your master. They can serve you well, but if you don't deal with those emotions, the pain that are locked up inside of them will begin to be master over you, and the whisperer will begin to speak in every situation he possibly can, because remember, he's an opportunist. It's not, it's not easy. It's faith. And you're people of the faith. The Mandalorian would say, this is the way. Where you at, Mandalorian friends? This is the way. And I, 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 listen, I'm not a hater, but I've hated some people pretty good in the past. I know what it feels like. I know, I know how to walk that hate out. And, 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 you know, those people, they get under your skin. They start to crawl under there, and, you, well, you just get so, you feel like your, your skin burns underneath when you think about them. And you start to develop a little torture chamber in your heart. And at night, about three, four, five times a night, you take them down in the torture chamber and you just kind of slap them around, choke them a little bit, and you deal with them in your heart. <laughs> Y'all know. I've had people in that torture. I've, I've created that torture chamber before. And I even made double occupancy. I didn't want to discriminate. And you had a hit list that the Lord just wouldn't receive. Take them out, Lord. We're just one funeral away from a revival, Lord. Take them out. <laughs> it's about to get good in this church. Take them out, Lord. It's about to get good in this, work, this office. It's about to get good in this town. If you just take this one out. <laughs> you know, that when we started this church, there was an individual that was carrying a lot of rejection, past wounds, childhood wounds, didn't know it. Troubles in their marriage. Man, such a great individual. Man, with the kids, let me tell you, whew, with others, just loved others. Was amazing in conversation and connecting and relationships and just, man, what a bridge builder. But time after time, as we ministered and worked together, and, and, and ministry's tough, by the way. Do you know that? Life is tough. It's, there's enough discouragement out in this world that we don't have to go put discouragement on people, right? It's tough. We're to be edifying and encouraging and building up as the body of Christ. And every time we got to a difficult place, we, we would try to minister to this individual through the boundaries that have been set by Satan and the whisperer, the whisperer, because of the, the open door that we, we're in their lives. And Allie and I would spend hours in our living room pouring out tears because they were in such bondage. And they were pouring out tears because they thought that we were trying to do something negatively to them. And we would walk them through the truth time after time after time. But one time, they had rallied enough people, key people in our church. And these other people were carrying rejection in their own hearts, have yet to be healed from life's past. Divorce, insecurities, parental rejections, 
And boy, that spirit of rejection started to rally some people around them, and they started thinking they're bold. And now, I don't think it was the person's intent whatsoever, but this spirit was at work, and it thought it had some play. One, one winter holiday, we were, at, we were out of town on a ski trip, and we, we were checked out. When I'm on holidays, I'm not going to work. I'm not going to answer emails. I'm not going to answer phone calls. I'm not going to do texts. No, I need to rest, and my staff needs me to rest, and my church needs me to rest. But this individual in the middle of the week decided that they were going to pull back and step away because it seems to be popular at times. They were going to step away, and they were going to give this and do that and all these things in this long email, and I didn't respond. Okay, I'll, I'll get to that whenever I get back home. I see this individual on Sunday because they're not just going to drop it. They're going to slowly migrate out. But they had listened to the whisperer apparently for the last three days, and it was all over this individual, just angry as can be. And I'm like, are you okay? Everything okay? Are you good? I got your email, and it's going to be okay. And within a matter of weeks, this person had convinced others how evil and how sorry and how, how hateful, how wrong I am. And they believed it. That spirit of rejection that was in them, oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. What, about eight to ten people left the church. How many? Twenty. You know what God did? I, was, I had that torture chamber in my heart, and it began to affect me emotionally, mentally, energy. I was so upset. And it was really about the time that uh, we went away to Paris. It wasn't until we went away to Paris, I think. We were really, we, we processed through that about five months later. We had a baby, we made a baby, hey. <laughs> and I heard this message and the pastor had gone through the very same thing and his pastor said, hey, you remember when, you remember when Nehemiah was building the wall and he says, why should I come down off this wall to, to answer to you? And he says, you stay up on that wall and you build that wall. That was so freeing to me. But then I understood the forgiveness side of things, and I said, I can't do this. If I'm going to go back, I'm going to go back changed, and I need to be able to move past this thing as we go back. So I begin to forgive. I know freedom ministry. Good Lord, I know it. I begin to forgive, and I begin to bless, and I begin to release. And you know what God showed me? He showed me this person as a young individual, and he showed me the things that had happened to them that started this huge issue of rejection and it had never been healed and life just kept happening through unforgiveness and rejection and the fear of rejection and building up and God began to melt my heart and I was like well no wonder no wonder this wasn't an attack on me this was something that they were going through and unfortunately they manipulated others to believe the same thing they were going through. And so I began to have compassion where hatred was. I began to have empathy and love where bitterness and resentment and anger was. And I knew the Father was entering in. And I knew the kingdom of God was beginning to work on my behalf. And I knew vindication would come in that situation. And after I saw that individual... I would begin to speak life back into them. 
Uh, last year I saw them again. I began to remind them, man, you remember whenever you worked with us? You remember all the things that took place? You were so good at everything that you did. I began to impart life rather than destroying the individual and causing further rejection. I'm telling you, it was hard at first. It's by faith. When I saw them, I began to remind them and speak life. Unfortunately, had a marriage separation, all kind of issues after the fact. Sad. We could have handled it. We could have walked through it. Man, it would have been powerful. But you know what happened? Because I did that, and I did it God's way, he said, okay, there's a good steward of my voice and my presence. And the church grew. And I wish I could say that was the only time it's ever happened. But I will say, every time that taught me a lesson, that every time something similar to that has happened, I handled the same way, and the church grew. I just got to trust God. I got to trust him that he will do what he says he will do. I can't figure these things out sometime in my own logical mind. But at some point, if we're going to be people of faith, then we have to have a supernatural faith that believes in the supernatural abilities of our loving Father. Man, we got to release some people. We got to bless some people. We got we to forgive Blessing moves forgiveness out of your head and into your heart. And you will never be healed until you do. Number five, we must resist Satan. You got to resist him. Don't go to bed on unforgiveness. Don't go to bed angry. Just don't go to bed with it. Deal with the offenses of this day so that they don't compile because tomorrow's going to have its offenses as well. The more offenses we have, we got a nice little fence, nice little privacy fence, but we're the one that's entrapped in it. Never speak negatively, by the way. Deal with offenses and hurts every day and don't take up other people's offenses. No third-party offenses. Allie and I were the world's worst in the beginning. I would tell my parents how terrible Allie was and all she does to me, and Allie would tell her parents all, all, how terrible I was and all I did to her, and even, even I would go and tell her how bad my boss was, who was my pastor, and so she would have a third-party offense. She started to grow an anger and offense towards him, and my, my mother and my parents couldn't stand Allie because of the demonic picture that I was painting about her, and her parents couldn't stand me because of the demonic picture that, that, that she was painting about me. And do you know what happens? You never go back and tell the good things about that individual. You leave it all out there like this person is straight from hell and you don't know how you got in involved with them. But let me tell you this, you owe it to your spouse to go back. You owe it to your boss. You owe it to your work, your peers. You owe it to your pastor, whatever it is. You owe it to go back and start painting a prettier picture than the way you left it in somebody else's heart. Because your third-party offense that has been taken is causing damage in their own life, and they never were purposed to handle it and hold it and keep, on, keep it. They love you. Of course they're going to defend you and take up a case for you. They're advocates for you. And likewise, you should be an advocate for, the, advocate for them and go change that perspective. Next is don't rehearse the nurse and nurse the hurts. Reverse the hurts by forgiving, blessing, and loving your enemies. Don't justify unforgiveness. Allow self-pity or bitterness. Don't start making, you know what, yeah, well, they did this, though. Yeah, but this is, this is serious, more serious than that. No, 
It's petty. It, it's petty. It's petty. So let's take that pettiness right now and just hand it over to the Lord. Let me pray for you. Just get in that place where you, you know you're talking with the Lord. You know you're by faith having this conversation with the Lord. And in your heart or out loud, I prefer it out loud, just say, Lord, I repent for this unforgiveness I've been carrying. Lord, thank you for your incredible grace. And this person or people I'm angry at, I know you love them just as you love me. Lord, I forgive them and release them unto you. And Lord, I bless them and I ask you to do for them what they don't deserve as you have done for me. And Lord, I commit as this pain begins to emerge in my heart again over them at this situation, I commit to forgive and bless continually until you change my heart to whole. And right now, I bind up the torture that's been in my life. I bind mental torture, physical torture. I bind social torture. I bind emotional torture. And I bind spiritual torture in the name of Jesus. Forgive us our debts as our Father has forgiven ours. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you that your righteous path gives us all the answers we need. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.